Hello, Trademark Sports Podcast listeners. We are back with our second episode. And what a game between Italy and Turkey, especially for the Italian side. Not so much for the Turkish side. Italy beat Turkey 3-0 on home soil in Rome to obviously not much surprise. However, the way the Turkish team played was definitely a surprise to a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, Mo and I watched the game and we turned to each other and we said, what is going on? Was Şenol Güneş asleep? I'm not sure. Were the players asleep? I'm not sure. Something definitely happened. They didn't play. I'm sure after today's game, game, a lot of Turkish friends are going to be angry at the coach and a few players after what everybody has seen. Um, Italy in the first half wasn't great. Turkey was horrendous. What was the Turkish players doing? I'm not right? too sure. Every ball that they won just cleared it away not even trying for a chance to go at the goal? In my opinion, the reason Turkey lost was because of the strategy they had going into the game. They thought, okay, opener against Italy, very strong side. They haven't been beaten in the last 27 games. We're going to try to make it the first. I really don't think Turkey went into the game thinking they'd win the game. I think Şenol Güneş was okay with a tie, and you could clearly see that because the... Turkish back four were constantly lined up in front of the Turkish goal on the 18-yard box. If you do not want to concede a goal, that is not where you start your defensive line. I was incredibly disappointed as a football fan. I was expecting a little more of a challenge, but we couldn't see that. So that was depressing. But, I mean, I have to hand it to Roberto Mancini. He made an incredible Italian team. They don't have an incredible, renowned world star on their team. All the players are around the same level. I think Mo would agree with me. Yeah, I agree. And yeah. most of the players play in Italy. So very local, homegrown players. And, I mean, incredible. I mean, the way they were passing and moving, the classic Italian 3-5-2 and 5-3-2, they were able to execute that very well. Uh, Mancini was able to do this at Man City, at Inter, at Galatasaray, which is a Turkish team, by the way. So he, he, he knows Turkish football. He's not a foreigner to it. And some of the players on the Turkish team were his old students from Galatasaray, like Burak Yilmaz. And he mentioned that they'd be uh, taking extra precaution to prevent Burak from scoring because he's he had an outstanding season with Lille. And the same thing, uh, Kilini said the same thing. You know, we watched Burak for a year and a half. We analyzed him very well. But the thing is, how many opportunities did Burak get? I think one. And he was almost on target, but it went out to a corner. So I think Şenol Güneş and the Turkish staff need to regroup, rethink, and really sit down and analyze their way of playing first uh, before changing the tactic for a game. If Turkey went on out and just played their regular game, what they did during the qualifiers they should not have conceded three goals. And also, this was the first time Italy scored three goals in a Euro tournament. This is... That that shows a lot. That shows I mean, a that lot. says a lot of things where... this in, Italy's won the Euro before. And this is the first time they've scored more than two goals in a game. So it shows that they like to play, yes, defensive, but they like to play controlled. And if Turkey conceding three goals... It's also the first time, I believe, that in an opening game 
a team conceded three goals and lost. So very bad for Turkey. But uh, Turkey Tur has a habit of losing their first game in the Euros. You know, last uh, Euros in 2016, when they made it, they lost to Croatia 1-0. The one before that, they were in uh, 2008. They lost to Portugal. Mm. But it's a habit for Turkey. The thing with uh, Turkey, though, is I think they realize they're at a big tournament after they've played their first game. So I'm expecting Turkey to pick it up in the second and third game uh, against Wales and Switzerland. And I'm still hopeful and I still think that Turkey can finish second in the group. No, I don't think first is possible unless Switzerland you know, surprisingly beats Italy and you know everything starts shifting around in Group A again. But I still think Turkey has a good chance. They have quality players. A lot of them are playing in, in the top five leagues in Europe on big clubs. Uh, so uh, I think uh, Turkish fans should be, you know, a little more content. They should be okay, happy with their team. Uh, obviously, today's performance was horrific. Yeah. And it, Italy is definitely happy. And, I mean, they've sent a clear message to anyone doubting them that they are a possible potential Euro winner this summer. Let's go into the tactics right now. Both teams, you know, unusually for Turkey especially, came out with a different tactic than how they used to play. I think Coach Gunesh had a defensive tactic, especially for this game coming, against, coming up against Italy, you know, who scored 30 goals in the last 28 or 33 now. Would you now. call it a defensive tactic or would you just call well, it Zeki defend? Celik, for example, he played bad. He's not a defensive fullback. He's really going on attack. I, I agree, but I also think Zeki Celik played bad because at the start of the game, Yusuf Yazici was playing in front of him as a right midfield. And what Yusuf likes to do is cut into the middle a lot. And that gives an opening to the opposing team who are playing in front of Zeki Celik. What I noticed was, and I'm sure you're going to agree with this, when Kenan Karaman switched over to the right side for Turkey to help Zeki Celik, the Italian team started struggling to move from yeah. their own left side. And they started switching the ball over to the other side quite often. That's how they scored the first goal. And here's a note to defenders. I'm sure you guys are listening. Do not do what the Turkish left back did on the first goal that Italy scored. Do not run to challenge an offensive player who has the ball and decide to fall back. And then that's what happens. You trip. You lose balance. Why? Because you're indecisive at that moment. If you decide to challenge a player, go in. Do not wait. Use shoulder. Hesitation is what Hesitation. leads to mistakes. He hesitated. He hesitated and it resulted in Turkey conceding a goal, which was a pretty bizarre goal because the ball was shot into the middle and it hit Merit Demiral and went in. He had two options. He could have either... He had no chance. He could not move away from it. It's the an ball unfortunate goal to concede. Way, way too unfortunate. But he had two, he had two chances. Well, what could he have done? He could have handballed the ball, which would have resulted in a red card and penalty. Obviously, that would have pushed over to the next game too because Merit Emeril is a good defender. And he could have turned invisible. Is that possible? No. Because even if, I mean, Immobile was right behind him and he would have just tapped that in. So I also want to ask, what do you think? This is my personal opinion regarding Ozan Tufan and Okayo Kushlo. I didn't two, see them at the game. The I two central midfielders of, of the Turkish national team. I mean, Okay's got a height of like 6'3". So you'd expect him to be, you know, a little more aggressive on the field. Like usually in uh, soccer, right? The defensive mids and center mids are like the spine of the team. Turkey didn't the have backbone, a spine. yeah. They didn't mm -hmm. have one. 
they didn't. No, because both hard. both of them I mean, did Shano the same mistake after the second after the first. He was going crazy just before the second goal. I believe he took both of them out. Yeah. I mean, that's how bad they were. These two players are young. Turkey has the youngest squad at the Euros. They have an extremely experienced team, despite being young. But I mean, today's result showed that yeah. at the end of it, no matter how much experience you have, when you're on the field, you can't be nervous when you're playing. You know, you're a professional. You should yeah. not be nervous. After like they they conceded the second goal, we saw Hakan Chalhanolu coming back to the. He was playing box to box. He was doing what Okayokushu was supposed to do and Ozantikon was supposed to do. You know, if they weren't doing that as much. Like Irfan John went in, he didn't do as much. Basically, Hakan just went out of position, just pick up the ball, send it long ball to Jengiz in that. Uh, Burak Yilmaz couldn't do anything because the balls weren't coming. How, how many times did he get the ball? Like two times. One of them was offside, unfortunately, for yeah, him. Which is very common for Burak because he likes to drop behind the line, yeah. the defenders. But it was not. It was a no-show for Turkey. Playing Hakan Çalhanoğlu on the left. I don't think it's smart. This makes me think of a question. What do you think if he put Hakan in the middle and started with Cengiz Undar? I honestly think that if Cengiz Undar started on the right, instead of Yusuf Yazıcı, Hakan right behind Burak, Kenan on the left, and even though they played bad, Ozan, Tufan, and Okay Yokuşlu, I think having Cengiz on the field would have had a positive impact for Turkey and a very negative impact for Italy because Jengis came onto the field at the start of the second half yeah, and immediately he showed his impact. He had a counter-attack opportunity where the Turkish Nobody players came. couldn't keep up with him. I mean, he waited a bit at the midfield while sprinting with the ball so a teammate can catch up, but they were just not there. So yeah. I honestly think, I think Şenol Güneş will change things up for Turkey's next game. I think Italy will continue with what they have. I was surprised to not see Marco Verratti. Uh, I'm not sure if he's injured. He was injured. He was missing out this okay. game. Okay, yeah. But I, I still, even without Verratti, they played amazing. And yeah. he's a very Jorginho good player. played well. Yeah. Picking up, receiving the ball, sending it when... Pick, receiving and sending the ball, he did it perfectly. It's like uh, they didn't need Verratti, especially with the midfield that Turkey had today. They played plenty of beautiful football. They, they played the passing game. And what I really liked about Italy was... They play a classic 3-5-2 or 5-3-2. But Mancini switched to a 3-4-3, which I find incredibly valuable. Because when you have three at the top and you need to start defending, you can keep your center forward up there and the other two on the wing can fall back into your midfield, immediately making a six-player midfield, which compacts the midfield. And that's where Turkey were beaten today. Italy kept its midfield very, very, very compact. compact. There was a lot of players there. They were able to move the ball. And what I really liked what Italy did was when they noticed that they weren't able to move the ball up, for example, on the left side, they immediately used their center backs, passed the ball, and switched over to the right side and moved up from there. That is critical in football. It's one of the most important things to do, to be able to read the game and switch the play. If you can do that, you can execute just how Italy did. All three yeah. of their goals came exactly like that. And what I don't understand for the second and third goal that Italy scored, what were the Turkish defenders doing? I mean, both of those were a rebound off the goalie's first touch save. And the Italian players who were one or two in the box, around five or six red Turkish shirts, were able to capitalize on it. So 
lack of concentration as well from the Turkish side. I'm not sure what was going on. Maybe it's because it's the first time most of these players are playing a big tournament. So, Only yes, we're calling Ozan it Ozan Tufan, Yilmaz, Hakan, Chalkan, Olud. They were in the previous uh, tournament. You're right. Yes, they were. But I also think that Şenol Ganesh made a very critical mistake. He invited a lot of players who, for the first time, were invited to the Turkish national team. I mean, I understand you can have a great season, but there's a couple of players that, in my opinion, who deserve to be in the squad were left out, uh, especially for someone like myself who follows Turkish football very closely. I think there's a left back who deserved to be on the team. His name is Caner Erkin, who is a veteran of the Turkish national team. He's just over 30 years old now. He's a great footballer. I've seen him play live in the stadium. Uh, I've seen him at practice. He's a great player. And for him, and he's an attacking left back. Yeah. Uh, he I mean, can get those crosses in. He has the shot. Exactly. Exactly. You know? And he's always a threat because he can switch the ball very quickly. I think that's critical. To play the ball from your left back to your right wing up front is important. And that con- they had that connection with Cengiz Ünder, but he was left out of the squad. There's a few other players I can mention. Emre Kulinc from Galatasaray. Very good player. You can pl- He's a joker. You can play him anywhere you want. He, you can play him he is in the center player. mid. You can play him on the right. You can play him on the left. You can play him behind the forward. You can play him anywhere. And to not take a player like that, I think, is a critical mistake Shanel Ganesh did. I think uh, two players that were left out of the squad, Emre Akbaba and Emre Kalinch, were needed for this game against Italy because th- these players are... Uh, Emre Akbaba especially, he's like your super sub. He's a shooter. He takes shots. He's a mm-hmm. super he's sub. Like You need a goal, you put him in, he'll find it. He'll, he's chasing the ball outside the box. He can find one. He did this for Galatasaray and past he really, season. He really picked it up in the second half of the season with Galatasaray. I mean, like, He uh, won games, critical just, points. Just for to go back to what happened in the Turkish Super League, Galatasaray lost the championship by goal difference to Besiktas. They both finished with 84 points. Besiktas scored one more goal than Galatasaray. In uh, sorry, goal one more goal average than Galatasaray. So, I mean, it's very unfortunate for Galatasaray fans. I know a lot of them were heartbroken. But I'm sure the second half, uh, especially in the last 10 to 12 games of the Turkish Sleep League, the way they played was very valuable, especially with Turkish players that were playing. And a lot of them were expecting to be called up to the national team, and they weren't. So that's a surprise. What I think Turkey should have done, and this goes for all teams, if you're playing a compact strategy, so you want to play a more defensive uh, formation or defensive mindset against a good team, you should always have one or two really fast players in your starting eleven. Turkey did not have that. They had, you can call them fairly average speed players. Yusuf Yazıcı and Kenan Karaman on the wings. And you had Okay Yokushlu, Ozan Tufan in the midfield. Hakan Çolhanoğlu looked like he was playing behind Burak Yılmaz, but he was on the left side the whole time. You give him a more defensive uh, possession in front of Umut Meraş. That was problematic, in my I, opinion. I think Coach Gunesh tried to do the same tactics he did against the uh, Netherlands in the World Cup qualifiers two months ago, where they won 4-2. Uh, 
that's how the goals came. It was a long ball towards the left uh, left mid. It was Hakan Chaltanolu and a straight ball down to Brak Yilmaz. But it just didn't happen. And I thought, uh, I'm, I was pretty shocked when, you know, the 23 squad of the 26 taken to the Euros, Kerem Akhturkolo, not yep, to be yep. taken. Galatasaray play, played He's very well He's a fast winger. He had a Young brilliant team. season. Just two seasons ago, he was playing in the lower divisions in Turkey into the Euros within a season. Like, he had a brilliant very, very season. Good player, yeah. I was actually shocked. He could have been a great use against Italy. It would have been an incredible substitution had he gone in to support Cengiz Ünder because you needed two fast Yeah, One's left-footed, players. one's right-footed. It would have been perfect. It, it would have prevented the Italian defensive line from being so close to the center half of the field, which... Let's be realistic. Like we had Kiel- we saw Chiellini just seeing that like again Okai and uh, Ozan not there. He just taking up that space, coming up, taking a shot. They had constant pressure on the Turkish team, constant pressure, which like made it many, extremely how, difficult. How much times do you see Chiellini do that? How many times do you see Chiellini do that? I mean, there was a lot of times where the Turkish defenders, without even looking at an opportunity to pass the ball or create a chance with a counterattack, they just decided to clear the ball because that's how much pressure the Italian players were putting on them. I was I was in pure shock. Like, they won the ball right at the edge of the box. If they just send it through to Brak Yilmaz, who, who was sprinting for it. Despite being 35 yeah. years old, in my opinion, ran probably the most on Turkey. Yeah. Ran from and right Mehmet to Dumal left, just, back just, and front, all he, nonstop. He just boots it out to touch. I was just... I was in shock. Like, I... Uh, I I've seen Turkey play. I, I personally think Şenol Güneş, from before the Euros, you know, I think he had a wrong squad selection. But I mean, since the list is already given, you can't change change it now. You, you got to go with what you have. I think the starting eleven could have been different. I wouldn't change anyone in the back four, but I think the midfield really really needs to be redeveloped they need to choose new players uh, obviously you can't call someone from outside of the tournament but with what you have in your subs in your reserves you have to try and make something of it because clearly Okayokushto and Ozan Tufan cannot play well together Irfan Can Kahveci who's a Fenerbahce player went into the game and immediately Turkey conceded two goals I mean I have not seen a player literally dancing on the field he was walking yeah and like he looked like he looked like he was a part of the, uh, of a different team you know it felt like there was the italian team the turkish team and then ifan jankovic doing his own thing he i didn't know what he was doing it's like nothing like that that substitution didn't change anything in the midfield. it made it worse for turkey in my you opinion know? i mean yeah. it was good that ozan tufan and okayokushlo were replaced but you brought on a player and another player after that Khan Ihan, who's originally a right back and a center back to play center defensive mid, he he did his best. I can't which, say anything to him. Which but makes me think. When I didn't have, know what Irfan John was doing. When you have a player like Khan Ihan, who's good with his feet, he's fast and he's like he's good in the air. He's he's got plenty of goals with headers. Um, what about starting with the five at the back against a team like Italy and having two? Center I don't mids? think starting with five would have been a good strategy because here's the thing, I mean, Turkey on paper started with four, but. Except for Burak, everyone was defending. I mean, if you call that defending, they were just letting Italy play with the ball. Turkey fell back. We knew a goal was coming. And for 
Turkey to concede an own goal, I mean, I think that was just pure punishment for the way they were playing the whole time. I think, no offense to the Turks, but I think they kind of deserved it because they did not show that they win wanted to win this game. But looking back at Turkey's uh, history with previous uh, Euro and World Cup tournaments, they have never won their first group game ever. So it's also like history repeats itself. Could they do what they did in Euro 2008 where they played the semifinal uh, against Germany and lost 3-2 in the 90th minute? You know, they could have made it to the final. In my opinion, if they made it to the final, they would have won the cup. But I think, you know, with the second and third game, Turkey is going to pick things up. I just want to talk about tomorrow's games because, I mean, obviously this was just the first day. This was the first game. And we have an entire month of mouth-watering, amazing international football. So tomorrow, the first game will be played between Wales and Switzerland in Baku Olympic Stadium in Azerbaijan. Wales all the way. You think Wales are going to take it? Semi-finalists of the last Euros, you know, they were the underdogs of the last Euros. Yes, yeah. You know? But I mean, Switzerland cannot be overlooked. They've been to, I think, almost every tournament in maybe the last, what, 30, 40 years. They have quality players playing all around Europe. But the thing with Switzerland is I think they give up too easily. They they lack motivation. And if they fall back, they're not able to regain that momentum they need to, to push it back. So I think if Wales is able to score early, they can capitalize on a victory. It's going to be a nice game. I still think Switzerland has the edge by a tiny bit. So for me, it's looking more like a tie or a one goal difference Switzerland win. It could go either way, but I don't think think it's it's going to be be a a big difference. I mean, when teams like Wales and Switzerland, you know, there's plenty of goals, joyful, like incredible goals being scored. Players like Shakiri, tournaments that he plays, he always has to have either like a a nominee for the turn goal of the tournament, you know, mm-hmm, the, mm-hmm. the goal he did in the World Cup, the last Euros with the bicycle at the edge of the box. That's Shakiri, yes. But this might also be Gareth Bale's last tournament in As, a Wales jersey yeah. because there's rumors that he is going to retire <laughs> from football. Play golf? <laughs> and become a professional golfer. I mean, I already think he's a professional golfer. Uh, Plays it every day. You know. Wales, golf, Madrid, in that order, was not said as a joke. I honestly think that's how he executed his daily life. So it's going to be an interesting game. I think uh, Wales could upset Switzerland. But if we look at on paper, Switzerland looks like they're the favorites. But yet again, football is not played on paper and anything can happen. Now, the second game... For tomorrow's games. For Group B. For opening group. for Group B. Now, the opening game for Group B, the previous game we just spoke about was the... Group A. Group A game. Mm. It's going to be Denmark taking on Finland in the Parken Stadium in Copenhagen in Denmark. So, Denmark has home I advantage. I think that game is going to be, like, a goalful game because, you know, both Scandinavian countries. I think... I My prediction for this game would be a Denmark win, like... 3-1. I think Denmark is going to win too, yeah. 3-1 or 3-0. But it'll be a joyful game. I think the Finnish team making it to the Euros was a surprise. It's their, it's the first ever uh There's a lot of tournament. first ever teams. North Macedonia, Finland. So 
it's going to be fun to see these teams introduced to the international stage at big tournaments. I think Denmark is going to win that game. So if I were to bet, which I don't, uh, I'd put my money on Denmark to win. The second game of Group B, which will also be the last game for tomorrow's matches, will be played between Belgium and Russia in St. Petersburg, Russia. So Russia has home soil advantage. They hosted the 2018 FIFA World Cup. So they have that experience from very recently to show support for their national team. But I think this is the last chance or possible last Euro tournament for this golden generation for the Belgium team. They have a, like a lot of uh, pressure on them. Like They're the favorites, one of the favorites. They were. I, I would... I would put my money on Belgium to win this tournament. However, the golden generation of this Belgium team has not been able to win silverware, which yeah. was upset. A surprise they were an upset in the World Cup. Everybody expected a France-Belgium final. Exactly, but exactly. But I honestly think uh, Eden Hazard missing most of the season at Real Madrid is a loss for them. However. I mean, Belgium has a very collective squad. They have a very big squad. I mean, for this game, uh, Kevin De Bruyne is uh, missing the game out against Russia because he had an eye and a nose fracture. In the Champions League um, final. Yeah. With that clash with uh, Rudiger. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, that's very unfortunate for Belgium. As you said, they have a squad depth. They have players who could be there. They have Fellaini, you know, he's a super sub. Mm -hmm. I, I kind of see the Russian team very similar in terms of uh, player psychology uh, to the Turkish team, that if they concede a goal early on, especially if they're not able to play well, they start to get demoralized very quickly. And that throws them off a little quicker, yeah. especially playing their first game against one of the tournament's favorites like Belgium. It's going to be a challenge for them. I think Belgium's going to win. Yeah, I think it would be like a 3-0 I don't think Chelsea would uh Chelsea Chelsea from what are you thinking about Champions League final De Bruyne taking that loss yeah. right I think Belgium would uh win three zero clean um unless uh, you know they upset us again you know I mean B Belgian defenders are known to make critical mistakes so anything can happen but like I said for to recap tomorrow's games Wales Switzerland can go either way. It could be a tie as well. But I think Switzerland has the upper hand just by a tiny bit. I think Denmark, Finland, Denmark are the clear favorites. They're playing on home soil. And Finland, it's the first time they may have they made it to a European tournament. So Denmark has won the tournament before. So they the Federation has that experience, you know, the nation has that experience. But the Denmark team has a very different style of play they're pl they're very aggressive they like to move the ball around yeah. and they have very well uh distance shooters uh christian Eriksen being one of them so um, i think denmark are the clear favorites for tomorrow's game and the final game belgium russia i think belgium are the clear favorites but i don't think russia is going to give up that easily yeah if I they're agree. able to defend long enough uh, to frustrate belgium from not being able to score that can also be a yeah, different. You want to move on to uh, transfer rumors? There are a yeah, lot. Yeah, sure. Is sure. Holland from 
uh, you know, Norwegian. He's missing out on the Euros. Yep. Um, is he going to leave for? Uh, there's a lot of teams linked with him: Real Madrid, Manchester United, I Chelsea, the Champions League winners. I personally think if Borussia Dortmund's demands are met, Haaland will not be there. He will not be at Borussia Dortmund for the 2021-2022 Bundesliga season. I don't think he's going to be there. However, it also depends if there aren't any surprise strikers at this Euro tournament that catches the eye of you know, big clubs, clubs in Europe yeah. looking for strikers. So anything can happen. But I think Erling Haaland is not going to stay at Borussia Dortmund. And I think they're going to have a very, very big fee for for his services and I, I think whichever team gets him will be able to have a player that they can count on for many many years to come well his teammate who, who do you think he should go to if you were to speak to Holland yeah. right now looking at all the teams in Europe he can go to any any which one he wants regardless of whatever they're offering let's say they're all, all offering the same thing which club do you think best suits Holland and which club do you think he can excel and become the top striker in the world? Real Madrid. What Benzema is aging. You know they need a replacement. Why not get him now, right? Why yeah. not get him yeah. now? It would be perfect uh, for Real Madrid too. Um, but if we're looking at who needs him, who needs a striker right now at the moment, you have. Chelsea Werner had a disappointing. Uh, I don't think Werner is Chelsea level player, but I mean, yeah. they paid a really, really big price tag for him too. So, yeah. I'm sorry, well, Chelsea fans. I know you won the Champions League, but let's be clear: you did not win it because of Werner. You won it in spite of him, in my opinion. Yeah, but there's also Manchester City. You know, the departure of uh, Sergio Aguero to Barcelona. Spain. I think. Uh, I think it's most likely to happen for Man City than uh, like Real Madrid. And I mean, I think there is a lot of say that Erling Haaland, and I remember seeing a photo of this, him being a Manchester City fan when he was much younger. So He was born in Leeds, England. His dad used to play for Leeds, mm -hmm. got mm -hmm. transferred to Manchester City. Well, it could happen, playing for his uh, dad's old team. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think Manchester City, of all the clubs... Uh, that are rumored to try to acquire Holland services are the most probable destination for where he will end up. And not just because the fact that Manchester City has a lot of money and Erling Haaland has sympathy towards them. I think Manchester City is going to go into a little mini rebuild, especially that Champions League loss. A lot of people thought Manchester City would, that, would win the cup. Chelsea were not favorites. Let's be realistic. But Chelsea yeah. were not favorites in 2012 against Bayern Munich as well. And that Chelsea team, in my opinion, was far superior than this Chelsea team. I mean, they had the likes of Didier Drogba, Frank Lampard, John Terry, Peter yeah. Cech. Uh, legends, you know. Legends. I mean, these are club legends. These are world football legends. So, Another I, I For me, if I were to tell Haaland which club to go, I would tell him to go to a club that has a project, a club that is able to build a team around him. I think that's the most important thing for footballers. 
the projects, not just how much money they're going to get, which city or which country they're going to be living in. I know a lot of players will like play in England because it's the, one of the top leagues in the world, probably the top league. But a lot of them also want to leave and they choose to go to Spain or Italy because of the climate. I mean, so that's another factor. Uh, it's very difficult to know with these footballers. But I think Eric Haaland, if he goes, he's going to go to Manchester City. I don't think Real Madrid is going to blow too much money on a forward, especially when they have Karim Benzema. And, I mean, they've got some good youth like Vinicius and... Well, there's rumors for uh, them loaning out Vinicius Jr., because of his poor performance, uh, he's not living up to the expectations, and actually he's sending Eden young, Hazard. Though. I think they got to give him some time. Well, I think um, there's rumors that they're gonna sell Eden Hazard, get the money from that, and offer. Uh, I mean, who's gonna M- pay Mbappe. to buy Eden, Eden Hazard? You tell me. An injury-prone player like that, well, unless he shines at the Euros, I kind of doubt that's gonna happen, though. Could happen, man. Could happen. Um, let's uh, move on to our like last transfer rumor: Jaden Sancho. Erling Haaland's uh, teammate from Dortmund. Um, Again, another Manchester, Manchester United. Team, another Manchester team linked with another player in Borussia Dortmund. Another Manchester team that lost the European Cup final this summer. I think the Manchester United fans deserve a much, much better team. I don't think Manchester United is as scary as a team as they used to be. I think when teams play Manchester United... They go, oh, okay, you know, we just got to put in a little extra. They're not the old ones yet. They're not not the old Manchester United under Sir Alex Ferguson. Manchester United offered 80 million euros for Dortmund, and they said nope. For Dortmund or for Jadon Sancho? For, for, my bad. Uh, For for Jadon Sancho Sancho to to Dortmund. Mm -hmm. Um, They said they want at least least 100 mil plus bonuses. Bonus incentives? Yes. I mean, here's the thing. Jadon Sancho is a good player. But I really don't see a hundred million price tag on any player. I'm sorry. If they're not Messi or Ronaldo, even Mbappe is not at that level yet. So a hundred million for a player who's very, very young. I mean, I don't think it's reasonable. I don't think it's understandable. I think Manchester United should use that money and buy several other quality players. I mean, spending over a hundred million on Paul Pogba, although he's a good player. I think that was a mistake as well. Well, I mean, uh, like, think about it like this. Manchester United fans. Let's say they get Jadon Sancho. The, I think uh was 10% of that money is going to go to uh, Manchester City. That, that's funny as well. Well, <laughs> see, as as like, what would, what would a Man United fan think? Would you want to buy him, pay him all that money? I so don't think they would care. I think they'd be happy that they're acquiring a good player. Yeah. I honestly don't I think mean, they care. The club has been linked with that player for like I mean, it's not two the years fans now. Money. It's not the fans' money. Let's be realistic. There is a family that owns the club, which the Manchester United fans are not happy about. They want them out. Glazers out. So I think uh, both Erling Haaland and Jadon Sancho have a high probability of departing the Signal Iduna Park. And with that money, I think Borussia Dortmund can go to rebuild their team, find young talent. But I don't think Borussia Dortmund fans should expect any championship or silverware in the next coming years. There's Bayern in their league. I mean, Bayern can buy their whole team if they desire it. They they like to do that. In 2002, I believe uh, they saved uh, Dortmund from bankruptcy, paying them 2 million euros. Mm -hmm. And another transfer rumor that has been a surprise Sergio Ramos 
has been linked to several clubs across Europe. Paris Saint-Germain, Chelsea, Man United. Most recently, his uh, boyhood team Sevilla offered him supposedly a five-year contract. But also reports from Spain suggest that Sergio Ramos asked his manager if Galatasaray would be interested in signing him. I found that interesting where a player wants to go to a club rather than the club approaching the player. I mean, it can happen, but Sergio Ramos is 35, 36 years old now. He's a, he's a top-class player. He's in my opinion, he is the best defender in the world despite his age. Uh, the way he plays is incredible. I really, really like his work ethic. He's, he's a team a leader. incredible professional, a great team leader. He has incredible skill when he has the ball at his feet, which is very unlikely for a defender. If Galatasaray were able to acquire Sergio Ramos, I think that would be a shocking transfer, but also the transfer of the year, uh, especially for Galatasaray fans who have been so behind with their European success that they had you know, years ago. They, they want to relive that European success. So we'll see what happens. Right. And to wrap it up, you know, you know, congratulations to Italy once again. I think Turkey needs to go back to the drawing board. And for tomorrow's games, Wales, Switzerland, Denmark, Finland, Belgium, Russia, all amazing games, all great games, all good teams. And we wish you all a happy Saturday. Hope you guys enjoyed listening to Trademark Sports Podcast. We will see you and you will hear us next time.